Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg has broken his silence. He has said that we have a responsibility to protect your data, and if we can't, then we don't deserve to serve you. He's basically said the buck stops with him as well, as Facebook's embroiled in numerous controversies over social media becoming a vehicle for the spread of lies and political manipulation. Uh, the firm Cambridge Analytica has been right at the centre of that for harvesting data from 50 million Facebook users. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. A um, whole range of issues to, to cover here. Let's bring in Scott Shane, National Security Reporter at the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you. And if we go back to last year, we can see signs of real internal problems um, with the departure of Chief Information Security Officer Alex Stamos at Facebook. How does that relate to the scandal that we're now hearing about? Well, I think it's, it's the internal reflection of the scandal of all the troubles that Facebook has faced. Uh, basically, Alex Stamos was the is the security guy. He's actually still there. He said he'll leave by August. Uh, but his, re- his security responsibilities, for the most part, have been taken away from him, it turns out. Uh, but the tensions arose because Alex Stamos and his security team were, they, they wanted to be proactive in looking for and dealing with problems on Facebook's platform, uh, in particular, the Russian meddling, the, the intrusion of both fake American profiles created by Russia, it turned out to be created by Russia, and pages created by Russia posing as American activists on various divisive topics. And the security team at Facebook began to detect this activity and wanted to be uh, aggressive about dealing with it and also somewhat transparent about, uh, you, you know, letting people know uh, what was going on, letting the public know what's going on. And uh, evidently, he got significant pushback from the leaders of the company. Uh, we were told, in particular, Sheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer, wanted a, you know, to kind of keep it on a much uh, lower profile, lower key. Uh, didn't want it to, uh, you know, interfere with the company's operations and growth. We're, when I read your own writing on this whole um, matter, when we look at Alex Stamos's history, joining Facebook from Yahoo in June 2015, very early on he had apparently some disagreements on, on how proactive the social network should be in policing its own platform. That's directly quoting from your writing. I, I, I just wonder then if this has all been passive from Facebook's point of view and, and how that should affect us as a public in viewing them because some people are saying Facebook's the enemy and, and they want to get off the platform altogether. But is it just that they've been far too easily manipulated themselves? Well, I think that's right, although one can ask, should they have realized they could be manipulated and done something about it long ago? I mean, basically, the, the fundamental problem here is that Facebook was created as a platform and took the position for, for years that it was simply a platform. Don't blame them for, for the material that gets posted on the platform. 
they would respond to complaints by users about you know material they saw on the platform that was fraudulent or or problematic in other ways but they kind of left it up to the users to flag the material they didn't take the initiative themselves to deal with problematic material and and the reason was that this is this obviously is a colossally successful company that has depended on rapid user growth it now has more than 2 billion users worldwide and it's also a huge advertising platform that's very lucrative so if you think about the way a company like that operates internally they have security people but the security people can only cause problems you know they only bring you bad news they come and say ooh the russians are causing trouble or the jihadists are causing trouble or somebody else is causing trouble and we have to deal with them and the way we're going to deal with them is we're going to suspend a lot of accounts we're going to remove a lot of accounts so the number of users will go down and we're going to ask you to spend a lot of money and hire a lot of people to look for problems like this and so perhaps it's not surprising that the executives of the company would not be so enthusiastic about that and that's you know that's basically what um, what what we've been told is that there were tensions between the security people on the one hand and the sort of the executives and also the kind of advertising business side of of Facebook um, as well. And uh, you know that may not be surprising. I think what's happened recently now is that the problems that the security people were warning about have become existential problems for Facebook. And you know, rather than being viewed by Mark Zuckerberg now as just a nuisance that perhaps he can ignore and maybe it'll go away, uh, you know, he, I think he's, he's grasped the fact over the last year that these problems could actually um, be extremely destructive to his business. Mm. And, and you're seeing it play out now when you, you can look out on social media and you see a lot of people saying, I've deleted my Facebook account, you know, why haven't you? So, I mean, that that's, uh, may not be a large-scale phenomenon yet, but that's scary for Facebook. I've also seen people say things like, I, I almost deleted my account, but obviously yes. they're, they're saying that, you know, <laughs> via their account. Um, yes. The thing is, it's just so helpful. There's nothing like it that could compare to, to reach such a, a broad base of one's friends and contacts in that particular way. Uh, yes, it's well, so I think, convenient. I think, the, I think what's sort of fascinating about how the Facebook story has unfolded is that in the early years, uh, you know, most of its publicity was good, and it was associated with friends and family. You know, I can find my old buddy from college who I'd lost track of. Um, I can keep in touch with my cousins. Uh, you know, it was all kind of warm and fuzzy and very positive. And it even kind of extended to the Arab Spring in 2011 with the idea that Facebook was um, a, a useful tool for dissidents, mm. uh, political opposition in repressive countries that could, um, y- you know, sort of get people organized, uh, allow them to organize demonstrations and that kind of thing. And so all that was was very positive. Now we've had a kind of run of the dark side, 
and uh, and that's what Facebook's having to face. Well, thank you very much for setting this up for us, Scott Shane, national security reporter at the New York Times. Great to have you on the line. Thanks so much. And I'd like to ask our listeners, wouldn't you like to continue to make use of this rather than let it use you? And what does that mean? Does that mean encouraging ourselves to ignore political stories or to take political stories with a pinch of salt or to even try to be more analytical of the stories if we do want to pay attention to them. Um, pound a sharp 1013 for 51 per message. A lot of talk about echo chambers in the last couple of years as well. Uh, sometimes it's got nothing to do with Russian manipulation. It's just because we've got maybe hundreds of friends who all feel or think about the same way and they're commenting on their status and that can influence us. But... This Cambridge Analytica data harvesting scandal took things to another level when it seemed as if this organisation was involved in everything from Brexit to President Trump's victory. Professor David Carroll, who teaches media design at Parsons School of Design, has actually filed a legal challenge in Britain against Cambridge Analytica and now joins us on the line. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to speak about this. And Cambridge Analytica was doing more than just Facebook activities. It boasted of several um, kind of dark capabilities, including being able to remove the trace of uh, emails that people wouldn't want to uh, have lying around to be discovered later. How did you get involved in this lawsuit? Uh, It's been a long journey for me. I've been working on it maybe for a couple of years now. It started just with my natural background in studying the uh, advertising and ad tech industry and how they use data to target people. Uh, I was really worried about privacy issues and was warning the industry this was going to blow up in their face, Uh, and I think it did. Uh, I've also been studying the new European data protection laws that give people data rights and uh, as a civil rights issue. And we can now see the stark illustration of why Americans and any other country that doesn't have strong data protection rights like they have in the EU and the UK, uh, we see how it's a threat to our democracy. So some of this has just been academic scholarship. Some of this has been uh, becoming a very concerned citizen. And my distress increases by the hour as the revelations roll out that we are talking about an international black ops op, uh, contractor uh, and the activities are nefarious and probably criminal and the uh, data protection disclosure claim uh, is uh, you know, asymmetrical to the potential offenses that this organization has inflicted upon the world. If I'm an ordinary, average Facebook user, how can Cambridge Analytica, or how could they have abused my information? So we know from the um, Kogan GSR story of the personality app slurping up data in a sort of surreptitious way, uh, and then the failure to have proper custody of the data um, we and then the idea that there were approximately 50 million people who, you know, were sort of flown or uh, sucked into the database. Uh, the way I understand this uh, technology and this technique and their objectives 
is that they continue to enrich their data model uh, during the primaries under Ben Carson, Ted Cruz. I was observing how t- Ted Cruz was an especially privacy-invasive political campaign. Uh, it was ranked uh, by an industry group and got the worst privacy score and the data security score of all the candidates. Um, and it was all, at that time, Cambridge Analytica uh, building the, as big of a model as it possibly could. And its objective was to assemble the largest database of American voters. And the larger it uh, was and the more data was in there, the more accurate their predictive capability was. Uh, and their main objective was to find a very small sliver of Americans who were susceptible to specific messages, and they could test their reactions to messages. So they could, in a sense, prove that it was working. It was working with a small number of people. It wasn't about making it work for the whole population. It was about making it work for a tiny slice of the population and finding those people in the swing states that would decide the election um, between 80 and 70,000 votes, perhaps. So um, I'm asking for the data to get them to prove what they actually have so that we can even assess this and we can even come to a conclusion about it. We don't have the full disclosure. That's why we're filing. Even when I think back to Brexit, because on the surface I'd say, well, I couldn't be influenced by these things, and I'm sure many people would say that. But as you say, it's a sliver of the population that counts. But even then all that bombardment of information on our Facebook accounts before the Brexit vote, and then it all disappeared, and we're left with the reality of of the mess that is currently the Brexit process. It's frightening. But you are taking on a giant, a goliath of big data marketing. How hopeful are you of succeeding? I'm really hopeful because uh, the only people who have told me not to do it are people affiliated with the company. Um, everyone else telling me to do it. That includes members of parliament, uh, has my support. Uh, U- UK Information Commissioner has told parliament that she has jurisdiction over my case. I have a team of barristers, best in Britain, all working for me for free. I have a fantastic so- solicitor, Robbie Nake, who's put this all together. Uh, I've been able to raise, um, I haven't even checked today, but uh, I, uh, I raised 25,000 pounds on crowd justice in October. So I've got backers who want to support me. Um, yes, they're going to put up a fight, but my case gets better and better with every headline. Good luck with it. We'll be following your progress. Professor David Carroll from Parsons School of Design, thank you also for joining us. Thank you for having me so much.